0: Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Yes, we're in Revelation chapter 21, because I did not prepare Revelation 1, Amy. So don't try to change the scripture on me, Amy, all right? You're always trying to take control. It's kind of awkward. We need to... Have a talk about this. But we are in Revelation 21. If you want to keep your Bible open, um, we are going to be uh, jumping around a bit. We're going to spend most of our time in the first five verses. I'm going to jump to Revelation 20 and Revelation 22 and some other references in the, particularly the New Testament, so if you want to be ready for that. Uh, we're going to talk about heaven today, and uh, I've been here about 10 weeks. I'm going to answer every one of your questions about the end of time, so this is fantastic. Um, If you are here today, you're like most Americans who believe in heaven, and most Americans uh, think they're going to heaven, even though church attendance is at an all-time low. Um, The uh, thoughts about pastors, uh, we're one of the least respected people in the country right now, so fantastic, amen. Um, But people still believe in heaven, they still think they're going there, so we're going to talk about it a little bit. Now, so what we're going to do is talk about the book of Revelation, particularly chapter 21. It's at the end of the Bible, and at this book, we believe it was written by one of Jesus' disciples named John. So it doesn't explicitly um, say that in a way that we know it's John the disciple. I do believe it as well. He wrote the Gospel of John, I also believe, and also three pastoral letters that bear his name. I think it's all the same person. So, John is thought to have such a close relationship with Jesus that when Jesus resurrected and the tomb was empty, that John says about himself that he outran Peter to the tomb. Okay? So, he was a very close disciple with Jesus. And at the time of writing of the book of Revelation, we believe John was exiled. Because of his zealousness for the good news in Jesus, he was exiled to the island of Patmos, which is not a good place. It sounds like, whoa, island, great. No, not a good thing. He's exiled there. He's of old age, and God brings him some kind of vision. We're not sure exactly what it is, but God was involved. He saw things that apparently no one else has seen. He was instructed to write some of these things down. So we have this old man who's been faithfully living and working and serving Jesus, who is now at the right hand of the Father, and God visits John in some way. Is it a dream? Well, it's more than a dream. Is it a vision? Well, yes, but maybe more than a vision, some kind of visitation, heaven coming to earth in some kind of way for this moment, okay? So, what he sees in this vision are, is not only actually things of the future, but also things of the past. He's able to see things in a new light with new heavenly eyes, okay? And it centers around still the person of Jesus. And throughout the book of Revelation, often seen as a slaughtered lamb, which doesn't make sense unless you know Jewish law and Jewish sacrificial system. You have the slaughtered lamb throughout the book of Revelation who represents The victorious King Jesus who paid for your sins and my sins on the cross. So when you see this slaughtered lamb, which is odd to us uh, and odd to a lot of people, especially in this modern day and age, it's a picture of a victorious Jesus who has made a way for you to be with him for eternity, okay? And so John gets this vision and it includes the past and the future, this new creation, where actually heaven not only comes to us, but a new earth as well. Somehow heaven and earth are somehow coming together in some kind of future world that you, if you've said yes to Jesus, pictured as a slaughtered lamb in the book of Revelation, that you are welcome into this new reality some someday in the future. And so, some kind of future that is not just spiritual or disembodied, but actual physical world that you and I are welcomed into. So, we've been talking about the Bible in six acts. We started with creation, and we started talking about God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity who created us to be in loving relationship with him and with others, relationship even with ourselves, our broken relationship with ourselves, our broken relationship with the world, that God created us for good, but the fall happened, and how God had used so many different ways, particularly Israel, he formed to be a blessing to the world, not just to Israel, but the entire world. And through Israel came Messiah Jesus, King Jesus, who died on a cross, rose again so that you... And the entire world could say yes to Jesus and be with him for eternity. Now, the church then remains. As Jesus ascends to heaven, he physically leaves earth, but then he sends his Holy Spirit. Now, we are actually like the temple of God not just in this building or an actual temple, but you personally, if you say yes to Jesus, Jesus says he lives within you by the power of his spirit. And now Jesus has millions, maybe even billions of little temples walking around that he fills and he uses you to be his hands and feet in a world. And so what we're supposed to do as the church until he comes again, when this new creation comes, is to give a glimpse of God's goodness. So people look at your life, they say, that's what it looks like, a good God looks like. That's what a loving Jesus looks like. When they look at your life, the way you are in your classroom, the way that you act in your family, the way that you interact with people in the city, in the neighborhood, the way you do business, that people say, oh, so that's what the love of God looks like. It's you. You're the Bible that people will read. (laughs) It's very rare that someone in our life is going to actually read this book. They're reading you. And Jesus says, I've given you the power of the Holy Spirit. If you will live for me, I will use you to show people what I and my love is like. And so until Jesus comes back again, we give a foretaste of God's goodness, little glimpses, okay? And so we bless kids in a nearby school who aren't going to get a Christmas gift unless you say yes. We give a little glimpse because guess what? In this new heavenly earth, there's not going to be kids without Christmas gifts, right? And so you feed people who are hungry because it's a glimpse of what's to come because there won't be hungry people in this future world. So you care for those who are, are sick and dying and, try, and trying to actually heal from cancer because guess what? There won't be cancer in this new world. So we keep giving little glimpses for people who are lonely. We befriend them because there won't be lonely people in this next world. So you give a little glimpse of God's goodness. That's your job as the church, not a building, not a religion. It's your life, Spirit of God in you, pouring out to others, giving a little taste of God's goodness wherever he calls you, okay? So we gather in small groups. We break bread together. We make 4 a.m. friends, people we can call in the middle of the night because that's a glimpse of God's goodness to come. We do this all until he comes again when he ushers in this new creation. That's your job, my job, while we're still alive on this earth, to point out towards what's to come, to tell people, I can't wait to show you how good God is when He comes. Now, this past week, I was driving around with my kids. I got a five-year-old and a 10-year-old, and my five-year-old, Grayson, uh, wonderful imagination. She loves talking about heaven. And in the middle of a drive the other day, she says, when is the end of the world going to happen? So I keep driving, and I say, you're in luck. This Sunday, I'm going (laughs) to preach about the end of the world. Do you wanna skip Sunday school and hear your daddy talk about the end of the world? And she said, well, that would be boring. (laughs) So then I was messing with her, I said, oh, so you're saying your dad is boring? Is that what you're saying? You don't love your dad, dad's boring? She's like, and then she's so animated, she's like, she looked at me, she's like, dad, you're not boring. Just when you talk. (laughs) So I hope I don't bore you today as I talk. Because we're going to talk about the end of the world. I'm going to hover around four general questions today. Four questions I'm going to try to address. The first question is this. Why does the Bible say some things that I love are going to be missing from this new heaven and new earth? Take a look at verse 1. John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. Surfers, take note. Whenever I share this, my kids are starting surfing lessons, um, and so they love the beach, they love the water, they love splashing around, they they are digging it. But whenever I share this verse, all the surfers in my life are like, bummer, Pastor Tim, no waves, right? So why does the Bible say there'll be no more sea, right? Now, the original readers probably would have heard this vision, these words, um, a little differently than us. The original readers would have known the sea and the oceans and Jewish thought at that time, probably representing something mysterious, perhaps even dark, perhaps where the abyss was. I mean, even me, when I, if I go swimming in the ocean, you know what I'm thinking about? Sharks, not just baby sharks, but like sharks, right? Because I can't see. Right? So the mysterious ocean, the darkness, the abyss, for the Jewish mind, it would have meant not goodness and beauty. It could have meant darkness or evil or, or the mysterious death and, and the unknown. Right? What the Bible says through so this vision of John is there will be no more wondering about God's goodness. Because right now, if you're struggling with the health issue, you wonder about God's goodness sometimes. Right? You go through a breakup in a relationship. You look at your bank account. You're wondering about God's goodness, right? There will be a time when you will not have to wonder about God's goodness anymore. You will know without a doubt there's no more sea. There's no more mystery. Does God love me? There's no more mystery about why, why did my family member have to die of that, of that tragedy. There'll be no more mystery. There'll be no more sea, right? That's what I think the picture we get from this world to come. And then take a look at verse 23. We didn't even read this one. There's more bummer stuff, okay? It says, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the land. Now, that's good news. We have God's presence, but no more sun? No more moon? What? Those are some of my favorite. I like the sun. I like the moon. These are beautiful things. In fact, some of you don't know. In fact, look at verse 25. No more sun, no more moon, maybe, and then its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no more night. Now, I don't know if you ever heard of these like, cities in Alaska during the summer where it's always bright, and people who work and live up there, they go crazy. It's too much light. So God is saying he's going to make you suffer in craziness with constant daylight? Is that this good God he's promising us in this future world? No more moon, no more sun, no more night? I don't know if you guys know the story of me and my wife, Katie, We actually um, uh, were friends at first, and then we went on a mission trip together, and as we were serving together, we kind of fell in love. She couldn't, you know, of course, of course, right? So (laughs) anyway, so (laughs) we fell in love. Uh, Then she broke up with me twice, but that's another story. But anyway, so but (laughs) in this one moment, one of our favorite moments from this mission trip was Katie, after a hard day of, of ministering. To uh, some uh, great work with youth she was doing. She was out at night. It was a beautiful night. You could see the stars, and she was out on a hammock, okay, just enjoying God's creation of the stars. And so, of course, I make my move, and uh, I saunter out there as cool as I could be, of course, and said something smart, perhaps something like, how does it feel, Katie? And she says, how does what feel? How does it feel to be the brightest star out here tonight? No. So, I didn't say exactly that, but something really smooth. She was really, really into me. Something happened that night, okay? That she's like, "This is the guy." So I didn't say exactly that, but I said something amazing and you know witty. But regardless of the details, don't ask what really happened. But regardless of the details, that is still one of our favorite memories, though. Because before we were a couple, we like she was looking at the stars and I was looking at the stars, right? So God's saying there's no more stars. Like, I kind of was hoping in this next world that not only would there still be stars, that maybe, like, our new bodies that we could fly and that I would actually, like, be in the stars, like, flying around the stars. Like, I didn't want them to be gone. I want to, like, like fly around the moon. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want the moon to be gone. I want to be, like, part of it. So, what is the Bible saying? I think what God is saying is that he's not going to get rid of the sun, maybe, get rid of the moon, get rid of sunsets, right? Get, get rid of stargazing. But he's saying something better is coming. That no more darkness. you got to imagine in, a, in an ancient world with no electricity, darkness was not a good thing. Danger happened in darkness. You could be robbed or things could get stolen in the dark. And so what God is painting a picture of to John is no more darkness that makes you fear, no more worry, just like the ocean, right, just like the sea, no more separation from God, that we will live in eternal bliss with a perfect love from a perfect God. This is John's way of telling us that what he saw. is no more separation from God, no more evil, no more worry, no more brokenness. It will all be eradicated, no more night. You get this? Okay, that's what I think. Now, second question is this. Well, tell me more. What will heaven be like? What does it look like? Well, I'm going to mention three things that just to give us an idea of what it could look like. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The word new is um, kainos. The word new, uh, first is proto. We'll get to that in a minute. That these first things had passed away and the sea was no more. And then verse 2, and I saw the holy city New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. So I want you to say this. Did you notice how that the Bible paints a picture here of heaven and earth joining together somehow? That right now, heaven is kind of like a separate thing, maybe, from our earthly existence. Now, in fact, even the word heaven here could refer to like God's abode heaven, or actually could allude to just the heavenly realms uh, the, the language is actually um, not specific. It could be both or either. But I want you to notice that even like right now, we don't have the fullness of the heavenly realities in our daily life. I shared last week about a story where I believe heaven broke into a life of a Muslim man who didn't know Jesus, but heaven, heaven kind of broke through to the power of the Spirit, and Jesus visited this Muslim man in his dreams in such a way that this Muslim man heard about the gospel of Christ through a chance meeting, right, a chance meeting with a a Christian pastor to explain who this man in white was in his dreams. That's heaven breaking through, but that's not every day, right? That's not constantly for our lives, but there will be a day where that's constant. We're always with God. We're always experiencing His love. There's no more worry, no more pain. There'll be constant peace, constant love, okay? And so, What we see, though, is a picture of heaven and earth coming together, a new heaven, a new earth, and in fact, specifically, a new heavenly Jerusalem coming down out of the heavens down to a new earth. And so I want to give you this picture because other parts of the Bible refer to the earth and all that we know burning up and refer to us as we as believers going up into the sky, which is true. But I want to show you another picture from Revelation 21 and 22 and Revelation 20 that actually paints a picture of heaven coming down to earth. That somehow our life here will continue in some kind of physical way, a new physical way, but in some kind of physical way continuing, not up in clouds with harps, right here on a new earth, a kindnos earth and a kindnos heaven, the word says. In fact, the Bible says... That far from being disembodied ghosts in some kind of spirit realm in this next life, that we will reign on a new earth. That's Revelation 5.10. That's what we will be doing for eternity with God, reigning on a new earth. Physicality, not just spirit beings. And in Paul, the apostle says that we are to share in a liberated and renewed creation, Romans 8. This is physicality in a new way, a renewed earth. If the word kinos can mean brand new. It also can mean renewed, a renewed earth, a renewed heavens coming together, holy city, Jerusalem. We're not being shot up like rockets up into the sky. Somehow, if we do go up, it's like, we're almost like meeting Jesus. It's like we're meeting King Jesus as he's coming down and like a, like a parade entering into his glorious new kingdom, a new heavens, a new earth the holy city, Jerusalem. It's like we're going up to greet and then coming back down into a new reality. That's a whole other picture than how I grew up with reading the Bible. Our ultimate destiny is actually on a renewed earth with King Jesus. And imagine how great this renewed earth is going to be when God is constantly, his glory is everywhere. I, I mean, I imagine maybe rainbows will still exist, but like brighter, And like new colors and like unicorns will be real like my daughter wants. I mean, all kinds of unbelievable things that maybe in a rainbow we don't just look at. Maybe we can like interact with it. Maybe we can wrap ourselves in color and light. I mean, the Bible doesn't say that. I'm just trying to imagine what without the limitations of our current physicality, right? Without those limitations with God, all things are possible on a renewed earth with a renewed heaven in a new holy city. Okay. So this word new is kinos. As you look at verses four and five, it says, he, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall be their mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Verse five, and he who is seated on the throne, this is King Jesus says this, behold, which means listen up, behold, I'm not lying to you. Behold, this is truth, church. Behold, I am making all things new, that all the sad things will pass away. And John contrasts the new, the kynos, with the first things, the proto. He's saying those were the former things, those were good, but something new is coming, better. And Jesus says, behold, trust me, it's going to be better than you can ever imagine. Imagine the best moment you've had so far on planet earth, okay? Got it? Your best moment. Imagine your best moment. could have been age five, could have been age 55, your best moment. God is saying, trust me, behold, that is going to pale in comparison to the next billion years that you're going to spend with me. That best moment is going to be multiplied exponentially by infinity. That's what is waiting for you. The best is yet to come. God doesn't erase our loved ones then. He doesn't erase our best things. He renews them. He makes them better. He's going to multiply them exponentially in a new world. You'll have a new body, the Bible says, on a new earth, in a new city. No more broken relationships. No more doubt. No more fear. No more self-hate. It's all going to be new. He doesn't get rid of food, maybe. He just makes it better. You don't have to worry about cholesterol, Amen. You don't have to worry if you're, you, oh, do I have room for dessert? Oh, you'll have eternal room for dessert, perhaps. <laughs> awesome. My five-year-old Grayson loves to talk about heaven. And so she was like musing one day. This is about a year ago. She's like, I wonder if there'll be vegetables in heaven. Because she likes like certain vegetables, but a lot of them she doesn't like. And then she thought, because she's a little theologian, she's like, you know what? There will be vegetables, but they'll taste like treats. <laughs> and there'll be treats, but they'll be healthy like vegetables. And I was like, that's pretty good. I like that. <laughs> We're going to let the Lord know you figured it all out. So my little theologian is saying he is coming back and he's not going to erase everything good. He's going to make all things kainos, better, brighter, renewed. He's coming back to bring new creation. He's not erasing everything, but making it better. All the bad stuff, he's getting rid of that stuff. All the good stuff, he's going to make better and newer and brighter. Now you have to flip to Revelation 22, because you're saying, okay, Pastor Tim, what else is heaven going to be like? Well, in Revelation 22, verse 1, it says this, then the angel showed me, which is John, the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the land through the middle of the street of the city, and also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. I want you to notice something, that it's a city with a river and the tree of life. Somehow it's spanning both sides. I'm not sure exactly what this picture is telling us. But if you remember that the Bible begins in Genesis with a garden, right? And with the tree of life. And then all things get messed up, right? Humans say, God, we could live better without you by centering our lives on ourselves instead of you. So God, well, stay in your lane. We got this. I'll I'll do yoga first, then God, right, and then school, right? I got it all planned out, God. Things go wrong by decentering ourselves on God and putting ourselves at the center. And God says, that's how the beginning of creation ends, and I'm going to bring at the end of the story a new creation, and guess what? A better garden in the middle of a city. We begin in a garden in Genesis, we end in a garden in Revelation, it's this perfect arc of God saying, I'm not getting rid of everything, I'm making it all kindness. I'm making it all new, better than you ever imagined. And so, this picture of God in the beginning, God, Adam and Eve, in the garden of Eden with the tree of life, ends with a garden in the city with the tree of life. But not just Israel, all of the nations are gathered, all of the colors, all of the languages, all of the cultures are gathered, all those who said yes to Jesus. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? No more racial division. No more, we're better than you. No more separation by, 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 these, by these borders. No more separation that we have. That, uh, for, we're fighting against these countries, right? We want to be first, and you get to be third or second. There'll be a day when all those in Christ will gather together. What a beautiful picture, right? All the challenges and things that we face that right now, God said, will be no more. This beautiful picture of all the nations coming together, not just Israel, but everyone who calls in the name of Jesus. And guess what? the picture that Revelation gives us. We're not just spirits floating around playing harps. That'd be like the worst eternity ever, right? It's not the picture that we're given. No, it is all the best things, but even better. Third question, when is this new creation coming? When? Oh, this is why you came today, right? When, Pastor Tim, when? Well, Christians have been wrongly predicting the return of Jesus for ages. I can go back. 2,000 years, but let me go back just 100 or so years. A Baptist preacher predicted that Jesus would return. I'm a, I used to be a Baptist, so uh, he predicted between March 21st, 1843, and March 21st, 1844. Didn't happen in case you didn't get the memo, okay? Return of Jesus did not happen then. Then, in 1910, many church leaders, good Bible-believing people, thought Haley's Comet, ever heard of Haley's Comet? That Haley's Comet was a sign of Jesus' return. 1910, didn't happen. Then in 1919, another prediction, that, that a real astronomical event, six of our planets in our solar system were aligned in a special way, that people started looking for Jesus' return, 1919, didn't happen. And then a very well-known pastor um, in the 1980s predicted that Jesus would return on June 28, 1981, didn't happen. And this is a good pastor with a good church, Okay. And then another one predicted from kind of that same group, well, it was really 1988. That came and went. That's when I graduated high school. 88 is great. And then others said, if you remember anyone around the year 2000, you remember this? Year 2000, this is the time. All the computers are going to go crazy. The world is coming to an end. I even had a pastor friend who really thought Jesus, like, that something was going to happen. Year 2000, he was at Costco, started getting all the, like, the water and, and like, food and emergency supplies. And he was like, look Tim, him, I don't know. What's going to happen? I just, just in case, right? Just in case, 2000, year 2000 came and went. Now, there's even a preacher right now who's alive today who is saying the end of the world. Jesus is coming back in 2021. You got one more year, people. 2021, which is really good news. It's just in time to avoid the next presidential election. Yay! Come, Jesus, come, right? Please. It would really help out if you would come in 2021. Now, with this, I have to give you another term. It's not covered in our chapters today, but in the book of Revelation, other books, there's this idea that some of us Christians argue about. It's called the millennium, a thousand-year reign of Christ that the Bible talks about. Is it a literal thousand-year reign? Is it a figurative thousand-year reign? Are we in the millennium now? Is the millennium to come? And so there are these camps. I'll just, really quickly. There's a post-millennial camp. There's a pre-millennial camp. There's an ah amillennial camp. These are all different camps of Christians, good Bible-believing people saying Jesus is coming back, but it won't be until this literal thousand-year reign or after the literal thousand-year reign or maybe it's a figurative thousand-year reign, right? Pre-mill, post-mill, amill, which is right. So I've said before, like a lot of other pastors, that I am a pan millennialist because I believe in the end it's all gonna pan out. I don't know (laughs) when Jesus is coming. I don't know if the millennium is literal. I don't know if it's figurative. We could be in it now. It could be in the future. I mean, I really don't know. I have my best guesses. We can talk about it later. But it's all going to pan out. Because you know what? Jesus warns us in Matthew 24. Jesus says, no one knows the day or hour. I do believe he's saying about his return as King Jesus. No one knows. Presbyterians don't know. My charismatic friends don't know. My Baptist friends don't know. We don't know. But Jesus is clear about something else. He says, I'm coming soon, so live like I'm coming soon. So he's not as clear about when, but he's really clear about how. He says, you will not know the day or hour, but I'll tell you exactly how to live until I come again. Live as if I'm coming soon. Spend your money and invest in a way as if I'm coming soon. Forgive people as if I'm coming soon. Live and study and work as if I'm coming soon. He says, that's the clear part. I don't know why we Christians love to dabble in the unclear. We spend a lot of time trying to figure out the unclear stuff. It's, and Jesus is almost like, if you just did the real clear stuff, we'd be doing pretty good, church. Love one another, feed hungry people, serve the least and lost, share my truth. Those are the clear, clear, clear things. But we kind of get in these squabbles and fights over when's he coming back and who's and pre-mill, post-mill, all important stuff. But if we do the clear things from God's word, I wonder if God will just bless us, bless us with more responsibility as we clearly follow the clear things. It's all going to pan out in the end, friends, but we live as if this is maybe the last season that we will know our good earth as it is. I live that way. I don't know how far ahead it will be until Jesus comes, but we live as if he's coming back soon. Let me keep going. Jesus says he's coming back soon, so we're trying to live prepared. And so really, I'm just managing God's resources until he comes back. Because the Bible says, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, that I am already now a citizen of heaven. My, my reality, my passport book already says I am a heavenly citizen. So start living like that right now on earth. The way you use your resources, the way that you care and love about people. And I can start living into that reality today. Fourth question. How can I know I'll be welcomed in? I'm going to read some tough verses for you. Turn with me to Revelation 21, verse 8. Verse 8, John's vision. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. See, verse 8 gives us a warning that not everyone will be welcomed into this new heavenly Jerusalem, this new heaven and new earth. That's, these are tough words. Revelation 22, verse 15, emphasizes this again. If you flip with me there to verse 15. It says, outside of the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. What is the Bible saying? It says that those who lack faith in God will be left outside of God's holy city. And so then we look at verse 14, right above it. From chapter 22. But then Jesus tells us clearly who is in. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. So I'm going to ask you a question. Well, how do you wash your robes? It doesn't say it actually in this section. We read the whole of Revelation. It gives us picture of the slaughtered lamb and that slaughtered lamb is King Jesus and that he has the ability to make you clean So the only ones who are welcomed into the city, because not everyone will be welcomed into this new holy city, are the ones whose robes are washed. Well, how do you get your robes washed? Well, the totality of Revelation and and the New Testament is painting a picture of Jesus has the power because he took the cross, died, and rose again to wash you clean. He's the only one. He is the judge, but he's also the one who cleaned your robes. He's the one who took on your guilt. He's the one who could look at those stains and say, you know what? I died for those stains. And if you'll put your faith in me, I will credit you with my righteousness and you will be welcomed in. But those who don't put their faith in King Jesus will not be welcomed into this new world. How do you wash your robes? You got to let Jesus do it. You put your faith in him. You say yes to his gift of grace. I was seeing one of our church members was showed a sign uh, up in the Napa Valley, and it was a big uh, chalkboard sign It says, before I die, dot, 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 it's like three panels, and everyone wrote in like their different stuff. Before I die, and I wrote down a few things. Before I die, I want to change lives. Before I die, I want to cure cancer. Before I die, I want to go to India. Before I die, I want to give back to my parents. Before I die, here's a funny one, I want to marry a billionaire, okay, just being honest, okay? (laughs) Before I die, I want to sleep like my husband is able to sleep, (laughs) okay? And then someone put, before I die, I want to Raider Nation. Like, who puts that? Raider Nation is all they put. Okay, Raider Nation. But one person wrote, before I die, I want to find Jesus. Well, I'm telling you, you don't have to wait. Today could be the day. Because guess what? You finding Jesus, he's already looking for you. If you've never said yes, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, you don't have to be outside. He's saying, come on in. I prepared a place for you. Come on in. Put your faith in me. You don't have to wait. John 3.16 says, Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Those who entrust their lives to Jesus. Jesus says, welcome in. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to even have your life go perfectly. God knows we are not perfect without his perfect love. And so he says, welcome in all those who put your faith in me. John 14.6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus says, put your faith in me, not in these other religions, not in these other things, not even in yourself, not even being religious. Don't put your faith in being religious or being a good human being. That'll never allow you in the gates. Simply rest in my grace. King Jesus, the slaughtered lamb, the one who can wash your dirty robes. He says, I died for all of those stains. Let me clean you. Look to me. I love this verse, Revelation 22, verse 17. The spirit... And the bride say, come. And let the one who hears says, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. It's free, friends. But I love that picture. You know the ones who are welcomed in? Thirsty people. The ones who go to Jesus thirsty. I mean, Pastor Man, to be perfect, you're not perfect. He already knows it. You don't have to be super religious, no. You've got to be thirsty for Jesus, the one who says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. It's not the religious or self-assured or buttoned up to a welcome. It's not Republicans or Democrats that get you into heaven. It's not those who say they're perfect. It's those who are thirsty, who know they have a need for the saving grace of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and rose again. They are welcomed in Now, I'm gonna close by showing you a video, giving us a picture. And as this video plays, I'm gonna tell you the story. You may have seen it before. It's a young girl who's been blind by birth. She's never seen her mom. She's actually deaf as well. She cannot hear because there's fluid in her eyes, there's fluid in her ears. And she's crying because she just had a surgery that a bunch of people through Facebook raised money to fly to the United States to get this fluid out of her ears and her eyes. So she's crying because the bandages are coming off. She's never seen her mom, but that's her mom holding her right now. And this picture shows us the moment of a child who's never seen or heard her mom realizing she's embraced by someone who loves her and has loved her from the beginning. And as we see this little girl, you're going to see her in just a moment, realize what's going on. First time she's seeing light. Seeing colors, seeing shapes. Saying, Where am I? And as she turns to her mama, realizes, oh, that's who you are. I see you now. First Corinthians 13, verse 12, Paul says this. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For now I know in part. And then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. There'll be a day when our tears and our fussing will cease. And when we see him, King Jesus, face to face, we will see clearly. We do not see clearly now. And when we see him face to face, all we'll want to do is fall into his embrace. and Perhaps tears of joy, saying, finally, I see you clearly. For the one who's been looking at you with clarity and love from before you were born. I know you cannot see clearly, right? Because there's cancer in your family. I know you can't see clearly right now because some of your prayers aren't being answered. You cannot see clearly because you see people hating each other in our country. I know you can't see clearly, but Jesus says one day you will. But right now I'm here waiting for you to see how I see, to get new heavenly eyes. He's saying if you will thirst for me, you will be welcomed in. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for this story. began, Lord, with creation, and it ended with a new creation. And in between, it was you pursuing us. You never let go. You never gave up. You always invited us in. So thank you, King Jesus. You, the slaughtered lamb who gave his blood so that we could have our robes washed. What a gift. And so we say yes to you anew. Yes, we want this new life in you. It begins right now. We are citizens of heaven. We do not have to wait. We have the spirit of God living within us. So Lord, until you come again and bring this new creation, we recommit ourselves to give glimpses of your goodness as we collect gifts for kids who don't have any, as we open our homes to people, as we break bread, as we forgive one another, we give a glimpse of your goodness until you come. Lord Jesus, help us to see with eyes of the Spirit right now that you are doing eternal work right now. We want to be open to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.